0: It's June 3rd, 2006, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 8 of The Candid Frame. First off, I want to give a thanks to everyone who posted a comment on the iTunes website. I had uh, requested that people who have been listening to the show that they uh, post a review of it on that site. And not only was I glad to see that there was a good number of uh, reviews on the site, but also that they were so favorable to the show. I really much uh, appreciate you taking the time to listen and for taking the time to uh, post a comment. And if you haven't already, I welcome you to uh, take a couple of minutes to go to the site and uh, post your comments and your thoughts about the show. Um, it's always a, a very good thing to hear, but uh, also I, th- I think it's very important for people who are checking out the variety of different uh, podcasts that are focused on photography to have a sense of um, how this show is different from all the other programs that are out there. So uh, if you haven't already, please take the time to uh, to post your comments there and, and uh, send an email out to anyone else who you think is um, might be interested in the show. I haven't really been a uh, real... Big about uh, trying to market uh, the the podcast, largely because of a you know the factor of time. So I'm depending on people who are really uh, into the show to pass the word along. So uh, any effort that you can do in that respect, well, thank you for that. Um, well, the uh, guest for today's show is Kevin Lynch. And Kevin Lynch is a photographer who's been in the industry for quite a while, and he makes uh, a good part of his income producing images for the promotion and marketing of major motion pictures. Uh, a lot of his um, portraiture is uh, used for uh, for the marketing of films, as well as ending up in posters for uh, for these same films. And uh, you'll see one amazing portrait that he did of uh, Kirk Douglas, uh, one that I was particularly fond of, uh, that he was really kind enough to allow me to use on the site. But it's his personal work and his personal projects that I found particularly intriguing, uh, including a project that he's been working on, on the Ultimate Fighting Challenge. And um, I think you'll find that his images, many of which are on his website, are really just phenomenal explorations, not only of an interesting subject, but just in terms of photographs. They're amazing in their exploration and their use of light, color, tone, Contrast in motion, and uh, I suggest that you take the time to visit his site. I'll have a link on it on the, of course, the website as usual. And uh, also, I have several links on the right-hand side of the of the uh, of the blog um, for different photo-related blogs and podcasts that I am particularly fond of and uh, am, you know, very eager to support. So, if you haven't already, check out some of those blogs and podcasts and find out what's out there. I think they're just great resources, and uh, as much as I love your support of this show, I'd love for you guys to support uh, the other podcasts and blogs that I have found to be particularly helpful to me in my own work. But enough of all that. Just sit back and enjoy our interview with Kevin Lynch. Um yeah, let's talk about the, the Red Couch Project. I know that you were working with uh, Horst Wacker. Wackerbott. Wackerbott. Yeah, I knew very, I was going to have trouble with that name. Oh, I'm
1: sure <laughs> even Germans do.
0: But yeah, tell me about how you got involved with this project and what it, what it meant for you in terms of your photographic career.
1: Well, I, first of all, I, I grew up in Europe. My father was in the service for 20 years, and we traveled around Paris, Brussels, and Germany, and I ended up in Germany and while I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? Where do I want to go? What direction do I find interesting? And I had taken pictures of my girlfriend then who wanted to be an actress. Uh, due to the photographs I took of her, she was actually asked in for an audition uh, for a Rainer Van Fassbinder movie, which uh, was amazing for an unknown actress to even be considered by him in any way. So uh, those pictures... I really enjoyed the communication. I enjoyed the media, and uh, I loved all the technical stuff about it, and it was really exciting to me. So I introduced myself. Um, actually, I, I wanted to study at the Darmstadt in Germany at the uh, photo design school, but due to the fact that I was a foreigner, it took me like uh, two years to be able to be accepted. There were 800 applicants, and 24 were accepted. I was one of the 24 accepted, but I was on a two-year waiting list. Oh, my God. Then the other school, so I figured I'll just join the Frankfurt University and study fine art history and maybe sports science because I was into sports then. Uh, And meanwhile, I went to uh, see if uh, there was a photographer out there that was looking for an assistant, and coincidentally there was. So I met this guy, Huashbacabat, who was an advertising photographer in Frankfurt, and he was just looking for an assistant. And the first day when I worked with him, I worked from 8 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock, following morning and we had he was working on another book project with kevin clark on the documenta six then and they were narrating the entire uh document and they did a book on it which was in castle and that was joseph boyce walter de maria richard serra all these great artists that were involved and uh with with the documenta and i actually loved art and i was more of inspired by actually fine art Painters and and, and sculpture artists because uh, it's all about form and shape and you know in photography in the end it's not a two dimensional art it's a three dimensional art and the way you you have to visualize you know light and and uh, and, and and concept and perspective etc. So anyways I meet Horst and Horst was working on the Red Couch project with Kevin Clark. So he was financing all this. Uh, and described
0: by the Red Couch Project.
1: Oh, the Red was. Couch Project, okay. It was a, uh, a book project that was based on doing an American portrait where you use a red couch as a common denominator or a unifying element that brings all these different walks of life together of American culture rich, poor, celebrities, unknown, political, right wing, left wing, racist, uh, activist, et cetera, et cetera, whatever represents the United States as a people. And I found that very interesting because, first of all, as an American, I was it was a foreign country to me because I grew up in Europe. I went to first grade school in San Francisco. I was born in Chicago, and that was about it. The rest of the time, I lived in Europe, and I heard only, you know, that was a time when there was a lot of political turmoil. We had the wall up in Germany. Uh, we had a more nuclear weapons pointing at each other on both directions in the east and west of Germany that... Um, I wanted to see the country that uh, wasn't too popular in Europe at the time. And um, I was just fascinated by traveling through the United States, getting the opportunity. We lived in a van. In fact, we constructed this maxi van from Dodge. had the couch underneath. We shot everything with a 5x7 view camera. Hmm. I had to carry this 220-pound couch, sometimes miles over sand dunes. Um, I was in the water off the Mendenhall Glacier holding it, while water was flushing into my high boots and, and the <laughs> freezing cold weather. It was great. I, I loved every moment of it. And uh, I didn't do it for the money. You know, I did it for for the experience and for working on something so exciting. I knew it had a lot of potential. It ended up becoming a book. Stern Magazine did 20 pages. Life Magazine did a whole series on it. It won two gold medals at the Club, in the Director's Club in Europe. And it was highly recognized by, you know, some, some people thought it was quirky. I thought it was a wonderful concept it was no different than when Irving penn when he used the chair in in africa it just was taking it to another level i think you know uh, expanding on that idea um still people do projects that are similar to that you know you try to find something that ties together and i thought the red couch had an optical tension and it worked well and it became sort of like again, a thread for all the images to come together.
0: What did you come away with from the experience in terms of... Well, what I came
1: away with was that, um, which I still use that same mentality, is that you do your commercial work to finance your fine artwork. And you try to uh, find projects that... um, Make a difference you know that, or that, have, that that gives you i think as a photographer, you have the responsibility to suggest to see things from a different way you know you, you should you should come up with new ideas, and that 's what 's so fascinating there 's all these different ways you can go into this and make it more of an interesting interesting craft uh, and also what I came my way from it was that I really loved the United States, and I ended up staying here due to the project I moved, moved left everything in Germany, my girlfriend, my family. And one by one, my parents, my sister, my brother, they all moved back here to L.A. And uh, we're all here now. And uh, I met Gary Gorman. During the process of working on the Red Couch Project, I needed to make money as an assistant. I didn't have any money. I had $2 in my pocket when I decided to stay here. So I took any assisting job I I could get. But I was pretty well-groomed to working 20 hours a day meant nothing to me you know so it was i was really uh, in good shape for being probably a, a great and then also coming up with new ideas and dealing with difficult p- situations uh having to have a, a couch pulled by a husky through a snowstorm believe me shooting in la on the beach wasn't a
0: big deal to me <laughs> how was it how was it different working with greg cuz the the greg is known more famously for his for his portraits of celebrities of artists and such um while he does work on specific projects uh, on, a, on occasion, I'm wondering, um, what did you come away with from your experience with Greg? And I know you continue working on <sighs> Oh, I on came
1: that. away with so much. I mean, for me, I think, I the Horst was a very uh, eclectic human being. He was eccentric, but he was incredibly intelligent, and... Um, Hard to keep up with mentally and intellectually at times, but um, it's, it was very inspiring. And Greg is also very much the same way. But the difference is, is that Greg was much more down to earth, much more orient, uh, much more staff oriented. He really cared about the people that were around him. And uh, he gave a lot of people the opportunity to actually evolve and be a participant in the process. And I think that what, it, what I came across from Greg was one, how to deal with people that's i mean if not if, if you want to like talk about his photography it stands on its own i mean to me he's one of the greatest portrait photographer in the world of all time and i think still to this day if i hadn't worked with him i wouldn't be approaching my photography the same way as as he as, as you know without his experience of working with him um as a human being he's great as a friend truly always there for you um Uh, You know, his subject matters are very personal, which I also like. He knows a lot about sculpting with light and composition and really bringing, I think, the personalities out in people. I learned a lot from that, and um, he left me alone a lot in the studio to experiment around and come up with new ideas, which gave me the confidence I have today if I get into a situation like I had yesterday, for instance. I was out in Simi Valley and and I had uh, set up a whole daylight situation with silks and everything to shoot Michael Douglas and and Evan Rachel Wood for uh, a movie called uh, King of California that they're working on. And I waited for seven hours and then of course the light was gone and I had to improvise within five minutes how I'm going to match this light that I sold them all on Mm. so I fortunately knew in situations prior to that greg had a situation where we were up on the roof and we were shooting pierce Brosnan, and it was an overcast day and he wanted to have this really sunny bright warm soft light again like we had uh again sold the client on or you know presented so i matched it up with strobes and with umbrellas and etc and you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference thank god
0: (laughs) so i was lucky uh Speaking of Michael Douglas, I was I was looking at the images that you did of of his father, yes, uh, Kirk Douglas, and looking at the images, uh, I really reacted very strongly to those photographs, and I was wanted to hear from you in terms of you know you shoot a lot of celebrities at times, and you know they're sort of you know it's part of the job to be photographed often often you know by a variety of different photographers, and as a result they they can come with a lot of baggage and. In, in terms of their experience with previous photographers and, and just the fact that they've been photographed so much. Right. You know, it, it, it uh, produces a talent for you to make something distinctive. Right. I found that the, the images of Kirk Douglas were just that for me. Thank you. And I got a great sense of, of uh, th- th- what I thought of was the lion in winter yes. immediately when looking at at the, at the photographs. And I wanted to know, I wanted to hear... In terms of working with people, I'm interested in hearing in terms of you know lighting and and your approach. But how do you approach someone who's not so much a celebrity, but who's been photographed and has so much awareness of their own image? How do you approach that in in, in order to be able to create a distinctive image? Well, you collaborate. You, uh, I think. The, the,
1: this particular situation with Kirk Douglas, it was an opportunity that was given to me by friends of mine named Nina and Claire Hallworth, who were friends with his rabbi, and he had just had this long hair, and he, before he was gonna get his hair cut to work on a movie with Michael Douglas, um, there was this opportunity that came up, and um, I really you know, took advantage of it. Um, so I collaborated with a few people, and. To me, this is what happened. I wanted to shoot Kirk Douglas in a way I was inspired by characters of Hemingway, of Shakespearean characters, uh, Cucteau, uh which was the close-up, the faces and the hands, and um, Macbeth. You know, th- those were those were that was the one with the crown. That's yeah. not on my website, but just to give you an inform- uh, give you an insight. Yesterday, I presented Michael with a box of these photographs uh-huh. as a gift. Uh, right before the shoot, because there was a problem with timing and I might not have gotten any shots. And I just thought, uh, for one, I wanted to give them to him. And I also thought, maybe by seeing these images, he sees how sensitive maybe sometimes actors can actually be shown. And I think that Kirk was very giving in these pictures, very open. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to bring that out in Michael yesterday, hmm. amongst all the craziness that was going on, and I think I got that, um, hopefully. Oh, yeah, I definitely
0: got <laughs> well, that. Well, you really
1: didn't good. see the ones from yesterday from Michael. Oh. I'll show them to you later. So, yes, that, that's, that, it was different. I didn't want to do a lot of retouching and all that stuff. It, they were supposed to be real, and uh, it's not easy to get people to do that. I had him alone in my studio for an hour and a half, and he was incredibly cooperative, and I just took him through every scenario uh, there's one picture where he sits on this huge chair that was um amazing chair that I got from uh from uh, Blackman and Cruz where um, he looks like an indian chief it 's just grace, history you know that that I wanted to reflect in him and sensitivity
0: it speaks to so much to the idea of of trust that that collaboration yeah. You know that's that's so important you know it's most it's important opinion, to evoke something beyond you know what's right in front of you
1: well you're going into somebody's psyche you know, as a photographer I mean that's sort of your your responsibility in order to make a photograph of someone interesting you have to you have to bring it out you have to bring that person out and actors hide behind characters or they are they're most likely they always are playing somebody else. So the moment you have them in front of the camera, they have to be me. They have to be themselves, which means in their in their sense, who am I? You know, What do I want to be, represent myself as or what do I want to reflect myself as as a human being? So the only way to get that is by, cre- you know, by getting their trust. And that's also something that I learned from Greg. That's the most important thing is to get their trust. And once they know that they're safe and that you're going to take care of them and you're not going to make them look like a freak... <laughs> And, uh, and not try to, you know, commercialize something that might later on just not really reflect who they are. That doesn't mean you can't take risks. It just means that you have to be able to be uh, be uh, true to them of what you're. What you have to tell them what you want. You can't just like sit them in front of the camera and start taking pictures. I think uh, like with Lucy Liu, I sat down with her when I shot her pictures for about ten, fifteen minutes. I had a camera next to me. I was still shooting film then. My and we just started talking without her hair and makeup, and I started just banging off some pictures while she was talking to me. And we just sat there, just the two of us, in front of my daylight studio glass windows, and actually I really like those pictures. It's Mm. the first picture. And then we put her into hair and makeup, and we started this narration, this story narration um, of of photographs. And I like to work that way, actually. I like to uh, take not just one particular portrait. I like to also... Do a series of pictures that sort of reflect. Everyone has multicolors. You can't always get it necessarily yeah. in one photograph. So I like to show the dimension of the human being in a series of pictures.
0: The other, the other series that, that I saw was uh, the nudes in the landscape. Yes. And I'll be quite honest with you. When I first heard the type of photography it was, I kind of rolled my eyes because I've seen a lot of that work, and it, it just a lot of it falls into sort of oh, yeah. cliche. Yeah. But as soon as I saw your pictures, I just I was. I was very impressed because oh. I thought that okay. that when looking at the photographs, there are distinct qualities of of lighting, of of form, of contrast, texture, all within the context of that you know panoramic you know frame that that format, which is always a, a challenge to really effectively compose an image in that sort of elongated form, and. It seemed like everything in, in, in the frame was just a wonderful balance, that all these elements individually were really strong, but that they kind of blended in almost seamlessly together. I thought it was a phenomenal, job. Tell okay. me about how that came about. And, well, you know. well I, I, uh, when I started working uh, with photographers,
1: it, I had to find a medium that I could work with and I, that I was, attract, I was attracted to the panorama because of traveling around the United States. I loved the landscapes of, uh, of, of the Southwest and I was really, as a European, sort of attracted to that. So I started Black and White Projects in 86, 87 with my Panorama 617 Fuji camera. Mm. And um, later on, I thought, uh, how can I take this to another step? I started actually doing a whole Panorama project of uh, studies. One was with uh, landscapes, one was with African wildlife, then I did it with portraits, and there's a series of pictures that I did of a guy who is a friend of mine named Reggie bipps of uh, who has neurofibromatosis and I did a series of pictures of him too, almost like storytelling with the panorama what's, what's that it's a uh, you get, it 's sort of like uh, the elephant man except it's actually t- uh, tumors of uh, of uh, the, of uh, the nerve cells okay uh, you get a very unfortunate deformed body and face and um so I, so here here we are, uh, teaching workshops in this beautiful Santa Fe, and I started driving, It drove me nuts because of the cliches where everybody came in tight and did these typical things, and I was helping Greg with his workshops, and I finally just I've been wanting to do it so badly. So I took a workshop myself with Sam Abel, and I had already outlined all the locations. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and within one day, I had shot all these panoramas. And uh, just basically nailed it with natural light, handheld, 15th of a second sometimes with a 617 Uh camera. And I just went from one place to another. And uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I had the models. And uh, I think in an hour and a half, I shot half those pictures. You're
0: kidding. Uh No.
1: And then then I progressed on it. Shot some in Pantelleria with three girls that I did a story. And I did also some um, in St. Bart's. And after a while, it was a, it was a study. For me, they are not like, I would say, sexual erotic pictures. They are more about body shape and form integrated in the landscape and harmoniously balancing off each other. And after a while, there's only so many nudes I could keep finding interesting to shoot. So I kind of discontinued that. And it, again, it's like I said, it's a panorama study. So that was one chapter of the panorama study. And ultimately, it might actually be integrated into a panorama book project. which yeah, I
0: think they're really strong images. I think that, uh, finding an audience for them would be really good. But it, in in speaking with you, it seems like you're always looking for a way to to push yourself, um, to do something different, to get outside of that that comfort level. Right. And in your in your series right now that you're doing with the Ultimate Fighting Champion, uh, tell me about that. But in in terms of how you challenge yourself with this particular project? Well, it was challenging in all kinds of ways. Physically, first of all, uh,
1: I came up with this idea to do before and afters because, to me, it reflected the UFC the most. And I thought, how can I? And the UFC is the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, and f- for just doing commercial work, and I wasn't really liking the direction that they were going into, uh, sort of um, branding their product. I was just so to say they're they're fighters and and what the UFC was about. And I thought, to me, there's nothing that reflects more a a car crash, which they're pretty much going to get into right before a fight. Imagine being in a car and someone's going to tell you he's going to take your seatbelt off and you're going to crash into a wall and who knows what you're going to look like afterwards. Win or lose. Survive or not survive, you know? And I have to tell you, these guys are incredible. Uh, I gained a lot of respect for them, so I put more effort into it, so I quit smoking, I started going on a diet, and I started running so that I could actually do this project, and because I, I had this idea of taking before and after pictures in the locker rooms, running to the octagon, capturing the fight, running back, capturing the after, and then capturing the before of the next fire. and this went on for like five to six hours for each event, because I would run back and forth all night long. And I would have to have two assistants in the locker room was waiting with, the, with this light that I created for this project and my, my medium format camera so I can do these really strong portraits. And then on the octagon, I would have the, the 35s ready to shoot the movement and um, <coughs> action pictures. I thought it was just a, a great opportunity um, to really... <laughs> come up with some new ideas of how uh, you can really do that. Not that before and afters hadn't been done before, but they hadn't really been done of Ultimate Fighters. There, were, there was really no good photography or anybody that really got themselves dug into to the sport. Mm-hmm. And it was a, an opportunity wide open to me, so I took advantage of it. So I experimented with flash fill 2K or HMI movements where I would take a picture of the fighter and try to bring their inner... Um, uh, emotion out and I would have them scream or like sh- 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 and then I would move the camera with a strobe fill. Those were my black and white sort of like, that was one series of pictures that I did in one study. The other one was this really intimate black and white HMI portraits coming in tight, showing that they're human and not animals, because that's what they are. They're really truly human people that have taken on this great challenge in their life of becoming an ultimate fighter, which is an awesome athlete. Second of all, I wanted to portray the sport itself what it reflects, so I did pictures in the octagon and sometimes I would rack the, the focus and I would do things where I would, um, uh, the zoom would go back and forth just to get some explosion going on so they're not just typical fight pictures that I wanted to integrate in the project. The Vision was a book project on a multi-dimensional scale with different aspects and different ways of portraying the sport from different angles and thinking a little bit outside the box. And that's what I'm hoping will be successfully done by the end of the project. I never, never know if I'm really satisfied, but uh, I think it's a blueprint for me to start other projects like I want to do, uh, possibly something with sumo wrestlers, mm-hmm. but it would be a complete different approach. Um, and then I have a, a NASCAR project that I might want to do yeah. on NASCAR drivers. I like sports now It's just because there's so much dynamicness and crowd and people behind it. And, and, and you have uh, so many, it's amazing, so many different people from different walks of life wanting to be part of something. Uh, um, I think uh, I find that interesting. But then again, there's the water book that
0: I'm doing too. You know, you never know what happens after my son's born. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's interesting about your work, regardless of what the subject is, is is your awareness and your control of light. A lot of times uh, a photographer will define himself by the way he lights, and it will be sort of consistent throughout their work, but you're willing to, to, to try different things and, and experiment with different types of light. So um, tell, me about, tell me about that, because I, I think it's, that's one of the strong uh, aspects of your work. Well, lighting is uh,
1: it's everything, and it's nothing at the same time. I mean, if you don't have great light, um, you, you know, you're know, you only as strong as your weakest link in a photograph and that means like if your hair and makeup but if your lighting isn't good I think uh, the picture is unsuccessful but, well lighting is this I love always trying something new but I end up going back to things that I know that are that work but I always try to push myself like with Breezer Lighting for instance it's a, it's a company that um, is from Germany Breezer uh, Mr. Breezer came from Braun, and Braun he developed this umbrella that would have even light uh, all the way around the high, the whole dimension of the umbrella, so on the outside of it and in the inside. So if you stood in front of it, your f stop wouldn't change. Even as a photographer, if you stood in front of it, it would have the same f stop to the subject, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, which gave you freedom to move around a little bit too, and also the softness. You could zoom it. You could zoom in and out with it. Um, I started sandblasting the outside of the uh, glass of the bulb, it's of the flash tube itself, which gave me a much more luminescent light and a little bit softer. If you're closer to the light source um, and you start sandblasting like the glass, it actually crystallizes, the, it's, you know, spreads the light in a whole different way than it would if it was plastic. If you, you know, like for instance, let's take the Profoto Globe Light. I used the Profoto Globe Light at the beginning of my project and i wasn't too happy with the plastic part of it because it sort of had a little bit of a muddy effect to it and the globe light i used because it represented to me like a locker room ball bulb, bulb light like a you know like a light bulb except i got 10 steps stops out of it so i could shoot with my hustle you know h1s uh, back and so on and i needed f-stop so I wanted to give this feeling that there's this light right over over the fighter that's just very dramatic and open and honest and dirty and ugly and et cetera. So it's not like the most flattering light. So I started doing it in glass with a breeze of, with a breeze of portable stroke. And we would even have uh, vests made that would actually be uh, so that my assistant could run back and forth from locker room to locker room without having to carry a power pack. So the vest itself was the scrub, uh-huh. and then we would have a boom arm where he would hold it right over center over the fighter's head. And I developed different seamlesses for each fight. They were five-foot seamlesses with different tape, so it had sort of a stylized image. And every UFC fight would be recognized by the tape and by the seamless. Sometimes I would use a black seamless for the before and a white after. Okay. Sometimes I would use a red seamless for both. You know, depending on what I was feeling like doing. But I kept it consistent, so the whole project has sort of a style to it. Um, and then lighting, um, I like using HMIs. I like using natural light. My studio is a natural light studio, and I had actually put in all this opaque glass, a whole sheet, wall, uh, sheet of uh, opaque glass, so that when the light comes through, it's very luminescent and uh, reflects almost like a silk, but except, except it's still a little bit crisper. Um, I think that that's where really it all comes down to. If you want great quality of stuff, you got to go back to glass. Uh, this plastic just doesn't have the same way. It's the light when it goes through glass, it spreads out. When it goes, I mean, through plastic, it spreads out. When it goes through glass, it just shoots through, but it softens straight through. Mm. Um, it's exciting because in photography, you get to work with all these different things. You have HMIs. You know, I use every kind of light. Yeah. So I love natural light. Like yesterday, I had to improvise because of the light, but went, and I had to kind of like shoot the strobes through the silks and all these things that I had set up for the natural light. That's this box that I kind of created uh, for Greg many years ago, and he lent it to me. I, I borrowed it from him actually yesterday for this particular shoot. It's sealed off. There's like a, it's like a, imagine an 8 by 8 by 10 foot wide cubicle. And in, within that cubicle, your subject sits or stands, and you can move it around depending on where the sun is and let the light come through the silk to the right uh, or from the top, and then you fill it with a wall of light like another silk in the front. And then you get the soft fill from the front from a bounce, and you get this beautiful edge light from the side through the silk. But the subject is never, is never exposed to really hard light. Um, for instance, that's one thing. And yeah, I've move. seen that
0: in the uh, Epson Print Academy online. Oh yeah, uh, when he does the thing. That I designed that for
1: Greg many years ago, yeah. and now it became a signature piece. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, one of the things I like to end with is with uh, asking um, photographers if they wanted to recommend another photographer whose work for listeners to explore. It, who would it be, and why?
1: Oh. uh Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. There's so many, so many photographers that um, I would, you know, I think Maplethorpe is a great one to explore um, just because of the way he consistently used his personal, showed his personal, reflected his personal life and his fine art career just like uh, Diane Arbus did. Those were very strong influences on me. Of, of, of the body of work. I think if you go into my library over there, there's just, I can name a hundred photographers that I'm inspired by. I'm also inspired by painters. Like I was really, I would say, Francis Bacon's been a big inspiration on me, especially with this fighter project. I would mm-hmm. go research Francis because I think he really knew a lot about the male anatomy and also going into the subject and pulling it out and his expressions. Um, I would try Greg. Worked for me, uh, Greg Gorman. Um, I
0: would, uh, let's see. I think you would. Maple Fourth. Between Maple Fourth and Greg, that's uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that, that's a lot. Well, you know, um, I, mean, I, say, I mean, I'm going to say, I mean, for instance, who was my, when I broke, grew up, Guy Baudin was a big influence on me. I loved his conceptual uh, work that he did. Uh, see, I think as a photographer, to be successful and happy and content with what you do, if you can have your fine art or your personal work and your commercial work be the same thing, sort of like a DNA that just sort of intertwined, yeah. you have actually reached sort of what you want to reach. I mean you just can never become complacent ever, because that's when you lose it, I think. Uh, so I'm never ever satisfied, so I always try new things. And I think that's part of the exciting thing about this business that you get to always do that with this craft.:
0: Oh great. Well thanks again it's been a great conversation thank you well thanks for taking the time to listen to uh, this uh, episode of the Candid Frame if you have any comments or suggestions about the show feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com and uh, feel free to visit the site as well at thecandidframe.com so until next time this is Ivarian Xporello and this is the Candid Frame